It's Center State Bank Tuesday, and this is the Buddy Martin Show and Podcast. Yes, it's time again for Buddy Martin. Call him up and tell him what you're thinking. But be kind because he's doing the best he can. Better. Stronger. Faster. Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. Good evening welcome to a Central State Bank Tuesday on the Buddy Martin Show and podcast, podcast, if I can say it right. Good to be with you tonight. The rankings are in. Yes, the College Football Committee has declared their top 25, and as you no doubt know by now, the Florida Gators are just outside the top 10 at number 11. We'll talk about what that means, if anything, coming up momentarily as you join me here on the program tonight. Where our guest will be Mr. College Football, Tony Barnhart. Good week to have Tony on and talk about not just the rankings, but also the fact that we've got some big SEC games coming up this week. <clears throat> Certainly one we've all been waiting for uh, between the, the Bengal Tigers of LSU and the Crimson Tide of Alabama, among others. So we'll discuss those. We'll talk about the rankings. I can't get too excited about it. Except to say, I thought Florida might wind up 12th or 13th someplace, but they got a lot of respect, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Uh, and I think it's a commentary, too, uh, without making too much on it, uh, of it, that uh, the loss to Georgia was not so terrible, despite it, the fact that it felt like Armageddon at the time. Uh, and so uh, that puts that in perspective a little bit. I just was reminded once again of what a long, long season it is and how many twists and turns there are in it. Because, you know, there will be several more coming up. And right now, pretty much the Florida Gators are a little on schedule or ahead of where some of us thought, even the optimistic ones, thought they might be. So I'll say good evening. Coming up here in this next 55 minutes, we'll have David Moulton at the uh, 35 after the hour after Tony Barnhart. And I'll say hello to uh, Greg Hunt. Good evening to you, Greg. And David and Paula. Donald Wilder. Paul, good evening to you. Nat Blaylock, the mayor of Newberry. Art. Kyle. Andy. Mike. Edward. David. And Brendan Martin is there telling you all to be sure to share, share, share out there in the Gator Nation kingdom. So I'm sitting here getting ready to go on. I picked up my copy of the Tim Tebow book, which I got in Jacksonville. Myself and my friend Chad Rich and Danny Williams, we stood in line and got our free copy. Got it signed on the front. I can't really read his signature, but obviously I'm most appreciative for it. 
goes in my library, and I'll be thumbing through it tonight to see if I can find something about compassion. Compassion. It's a key word tonight. I'll tell you why later. Compassion. What does it mean? And do we have room for any of it? All right? Tell you what. Lots of things going on today in sports world, uh, not the least of which is the top 25, but also DJ Durkin has been retained. Much of the hue and cry of critics like Paul Feinbaum and others. Uh, and um, up at uh, Maryland, the, uh, he takes blame for the dysfunctionality of the team, he and the athletic director, but by the same token, they're not going to fire him. Um, I don't know enough about that case, as much as some people do purport to know, because an awful lot of people claim to know things sometimes that don't really know what's going on. Always makes It always uh, gets me when I, I hear people tell me, I don't like that guy because he's arrogant. He's arrogant? Why, how do you know that? Do you know him? No, I don't know him. Uh, have you been in his presence? No, I never have. Uh, how do you say he's arrogant? Well, because of some of the things he says or people say he says. So you're going to take it third hand from somebody else rather than you draw your own perspective and you make your own judgments. But don't you think before you get ready to come down on somebody and judge them, you should kind of know more about who they are, what they did, and what their character is. We are quick to judge, aren't we? Yes, we are. Uh, so they judged the Florida Gators number 11. There's some interesting stats on those things. Uh, I think somebody tweeted it tonight uh, that uh, the Gators uh, have a good chance to crack into the top six. Is it six that make the New Year's Day Bowls? I believe it is. Uh, certainly the top eight by winning their games because you look at who plays who and uh, you say number six has to play number nine. Number five has to play number 10, uh, as well as the winner of six and nine they have to play Alabama. So Alabama, of course, are favored to win both of those. So there's going to be some shakeups. And if you didn't hear it, I can't imagine that you didn't. But we'll start with the top 11. By the way, five SEC teams in the top 11. Five. Uh, let's start with the 11th team. Let's start with the, with the 12th because it's a team people have talked about, UCF. UCF is uh, 12th, Florida 11, Ohio State 10, Kentucky 9, Washington State, team I like a lot. By the way, Steve Spurrier Jr.'s son's coaching there, <clears throat> is 8, Oklahoma is 7, Georgia goes to 6, then Michigan, a team I really want to see, how good they are. they got a few games to play, including Ohio State. Notre Dame is four. No surprise. LSU, three. No surprise. Clemson, two. And, of course, no surprise that Alabama is number one. So there you go. Uh, I like Derek Tyson's tweet on that. Uh, this is, tells you about the value of the games you've won and why your position in the committee's eyes where you are, like Florida being number 11, Derek Tyson formerly of ESPN, a friend of ours we used to work together with. Uh, it says Florida beat the number three team and lost to the number six and nine. Forget the results. They played three top ten teams. Good point. Certainly for sure. That is true. So uh, those of us have a look at your standings, your rankings, etc., which don't mean a whole lot right now, but something to keep an eye on as we go and take a quick break, and we'll go to our first phone call, Tony Barnhart, after these messages. No one ever plans a car accident. Having a plan after you've been in one, however, can make a world of difference. 
Daniel L. Hightower has been fighting for accident victim justice in Ocala and statewide since 1976. After meeting with Dan and his team, you'll know your case matters, that you matter, and that Dan will fight hard to get you just results. If you've been severely injured through no fault of your own by a careless or reckless driver, you need Daniel L. Hightower. Since 1976, Mr. College Football, Tony Barnhart, Jones' Mormon Teller, to discuss uh, uh, the college football picture and, and this week's SEC games, which are top-notch, especially with these teams being ranked as they are. He joins us now from Atlanta, Georgia. He's Mr. College Football, Tony Barnhart. Good evening, Tony. Good evening, Brother Martin. <clears throat> I trust you were watching on TV as they rolled out the top 25. And did, did there were any surprises for you was about what you expected? There were, there were two. One was uh, I was surprised uh, and, that, and pleased that the committee put LSU ahead of Notre Dame. I thought that was right. I just didn't think, I just didn't think the committee would pull the trigger on that. Uh, so that was number one. Number two, I was stunned that, Washington State was at number eight, given their non-conference schedule. Mm. But other than that, I was fine with it. And the neat thing is, is I think everybody in the top six basically controls their own destiny if they win out. So I think I think November is going to be a lot of fun. Tony, did you were you a little surprised Florida was eleven? No, I, I think people people who have seen who saw Florida play LSU, who saw Florida play Georgia, except for the turnovers. Like like what the Gators have done, so I think I think they deserve I think they deserve to be among the the best uh, two loss teams. So I was not surprised by that. Yeah. <clears throat> Speaking of which, Tony, uh, talk to me about the uh, about the game on Saturday. I saw you at the press box. You and your buddy Vern Lundquist had a nice chat there, uh, and that game was. Uh, I give Georgia a lot of credit for delivering uh, in the final quarter as it had to do to win the game. But I think it's also a statement that Florida, how Florida Florida has come when the game is still close with uh, 10 minutes of play, despite the hole they dug in the first first quarter and the three turnovers. But give me your assessment. Maybe I'm looking at it through orange and blue glasses. No, I, I was very impressed, particularly uh, there was a stretch in the second quarter I thought this, I thought Dan Mullen was was just having a great day with the play calling. But what you learned about the game was that about Florida was that they're very well coached. They're really maximizing the talent that they have, uh, but they're not good enough to overcome three turnovers against a good team. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was to me that was the difference in the game. The, the turnovers allowed Georgia to get out front ten to nothing. I thought Florida did a great job of fighting back and taking the lead early in the second half. But Georgia did. And the other thing was uh, Jake Rom played his most complete game mm-hmm. for Georgia of the season and really made things happen on third down. And that was always going to be the key. And he answered a big question. Uh, I know that he played well at times last year, but when the game is on the line and they need him to help win the game, can he do it? And the drive yeah. he put together with – what do you threw four completions in a row to Nauta? Didn't he have four in a row completions? Right, right before the half. Uh, yeah, that was impressive. And then, of course, at the end, when he had to have the big one, he got it. Uh, and I think he answered the bell on all counts there. And you know, and I'm not going to say this was the reason, but the fact that 
Florida's best defensive back went down early in the game. Uh, you know, that didn't help any, but by the same token, I take nothing from Jake Fromm, who I think showed us that he has the ability to play big-time quarterback for a big-time team. Well, and, and it put an end to the speculation about is Fromm the guy. Uh, Justin Fields did not play in the game. Why? Because Fromm was playing so well, and everybody on the Georgia uh, sideline understood that. A lot of people surprised that Emory Jones did play in the game and mm-hmm. Justin Fields didn't. Were you expecting Fields to take the field at some point? I thought if Georgia got behind by, you know, a touchdown, 10 points or something like that, they would need some kind of energy, some kind of lift. But for the most part, like we said, Georgia got up, got up 10 to nothing because of the turnovers and they were, they were, they were never in danger, uh, of, they were never, they never really got behind enough to where they needed the spark. And again, Fromm was playing well. Yes. Um, yet I think there is a difference, still a gap between Alabama and the rest of the field, mm-hmm. including Georgia. How much of a gap yeah. is that? Uh, Georgia has closed the gap a little bit, but Alabama, with where they're playing offense, you know, it's just you. Everybody has understood over the years that if you if you do a couple of things. If you have a hot quarterback, if Alabama commits some turnovers, then you've got a chance to beat them. What's changed is that now they're going to score 40 on you. And that that has not been part of our thinking. So I think the gap is still uh, pretty significant, and I think we're going to find out a lot about it uh, Saturday night when they go to LSU. We're going to get into those games because this is a big weekend. But would you be correct to say that – Georgia is to Alabama about what Florida is to Georgia? Yeah, I think so. I think it's the team that's, you know, Florida looks at Georgia and says, look, we're, we're, we're behind in terms of recruiting mm-hmm. and, and all that because of, of where our program has been the last couple of years. But we know what, we know where we have to go and it's Georgia. All right. Well, Georgia looks at Alabama and says, you know, we're in, we're in good shape over here in the SEC East. We've recruited well, but to get where, where we want to go is Alabama. Okay. A team that can do it year in and year out and be in the discussion for the national championship on a, you know, fairly consistent basis. So I think that analogy is, is a good one. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the Cinderella story remains the Cinderella story. And you got to feel good for the people in Kentucky. They waited for a long time. I talked to a friend of mine today. You know him, one of the really great writers in our in our business. I say our business. I still feel like I'm a newspaper wretch. Uh, and it's Dave Kindred. Yep. Uh, and you know, remember him? And he worked in Atlanta. And of one of the best. One of the very best. Just won the Dan Jenkins Award. He's semi-retired, although he's still writing some. Uh, and I, he hasn't followed Kentucky football in a long time. I mean, a long time. He's, he's been up more with basketball because every Kentuckian is always going to play, although Dave, I think, was born in Illinois, uh, is going to follow basketball. And I asked him about uh, the program, and he said, I don't know a whole lot about it. He said, but no, they got a pretty good team, and then he, he knows about the running back and the quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a brand-new thing for a lot of people including people who followed. He said the last time that Kentucky had meaningful snaps in football was Fran Kersey days, even before your time. 
I remember Fran because he coached at Miami and Tampa as well. So what is it like for the league to have a Kentucky show up on the radar now? And, of course, Georgia's got maybe a test on Saturday in this game. What are your take on that? Well, Kentucky, uh, buddy, and I wrote this earlier this year uh, when they when they got on a nice little roll, Kentucky is exhibit A for anybody who's trying to build a program. You go out and you hire the right coach. Then you invest in facilities. K- Kentucky spent $200 million in upgrades to Commonwealth Stadium and building their own football office complex. All right. $200 million. Then they were patient. There were people who wanted to get rid of Mark Stoops about his fourth year uh, when they were struggling a little bit, but that, now they're going to go to the, their third straight bowl. So I think it's good for the conference to have somebody else in the mix. And think about what that situation is going to be like Saturday uh, in Lexington. Biggest biggest football game that's ever been played uh, at the University of Kentucky. And they got a chance to do something they've never done before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, how do you size that game up? Uh you know, every time you think you got Kentucky figured out, they come up with something, and they had a benefit from a call, which I want to get into a little bit, uh, and the last second against Missouri. But it seems like things are going the way of Mark Stoops. And this team, uh, they're very good on defense. they got, a, I think, an All-American linebacker and probably an All-American running back, in my opinion. So size up this game against Georgia. Well, the key is the way that Kentucky wins is they run the football. And and Kirby Smart said Saturday, he said after the game on Saturday, he said he was still concerned about his run defense. But what Kentucky has to do is to run the ball, shorten the game, which is what they've done against uh, a number of teams, and then turn it over to their defense to make big plays. I mean, you you were talking about Josh Allen. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a chance to talk to Josh tonight. This kid is an incredible story, where he came from, from a two-star recruit, (laughs) <laughs> out of out of New Jersey uh, to be an All American in a first round draft choice. So I I think the key is can Kentucky run the ball and can they throw it well mm-hmm. enough, which they did against Missouri. Can Terry Wilson throw it well enough to get some points on the board? Uh, I, I I think Georgia's going to win the game, but uh, Kentucky's got to stick with its formula. And th- this is a, a a veteran team. They've got 17 seniors on their two deep. Offense and defense, and that kind of team kind of sticks together, and that's that's a big part of who they are. Yes, for sure. All right, so let's take a look at some games on Saturday, um, and 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 at some of these games that we just talked about. Well, we talked about two of them. Let's break down LSU and Alabama. Uh, it's a game where Alabama has won in so-called Death Valley. I know there's two of them. As Perry says, uh, Alabama has had a, quite a bit of luck. Uh, uh, I said good fortune there. Almost two touchdown favors over LSU. Uh, is Alabama, I mean, and here's the thing about it. How do we even judge Alabama when they haven't played a complete game yet? It's just hard to know. know, right? We don't, we don't know. We, I mean, all we know is they get off to a fast start. They sort of, <laughs> they rip your heart out early and you spend the rest of the, the rest of the day trying to catch up, which nobody's been able to do. Uh, it's going to be an incredible atmosphere at night, which it always is. Uh, LSU has had a knack. Uh, you know, they were very impressive against Georgia uh, a couple of weeks ago. What, what, can, what LSU has to do, buddy, uh, 
uh, I remember talking to basketball coaches who would say, look, we play the first half of, of our basketball game to get to the second half. And that, to me, that's what LSU has to do. They're going to be without their best player uh, for a half. And if I'm Ed Orgeron, I'm telling my guys, look, let's hang in there. Don't get beat deep. Don't give them the big play. Lock up. Keep everything in front of you. We're playing the first half to get to the second half, and that's when we get our best player back. Yeah. And if they can, and if they can do that and get it into the third quarter, and put some pressure on Alabama, then they got a chance. But if they don't, if Alabama jumps out to a 14, 17, 20 point lead early on, guess what? It's going to get out. It's going to get out of hand, and they're going to blow them out. Are we just trying to talk ourselves into this being a competitive game? Because let's be honest, based on what we've seen, really. A team Florida beat. Not that there's anything bad about Florida, but I mean, this is team Florida, and Alabama would certainly beat Florida without question, at least by two touchdowns. So I'm thinking, why are we even talking about this? Tua, if he's on, by the way, he might be as good a quarterback who ever played in the SEC, mm-hmm. based on the small sample that we've seen. Are we talking ourselves into something that just isn't going to happen? Well. That's that's the reason that we play these games, okay? Because we we are surprised every Saturday. There's there's a shocker out there. I I think Alabama's going to win. I think Alabama's going to win by double digits. But I know, I know, going on the road and playing in this league, and if something goes wrong and and Tua makes a couple of mistakes, then all of a sudden it's a different it's a different ball game. But no, I think Alabama's going to win. I think they're going to win by double digits. And you've seen a few of these games, so you would know that, I know. I'm looking at the SEC schedule on the Lions right now, uh, and uh, I've got them up on my screen. And, uh, I mean, this, this, is quite a, this is quite a lineup. We just mentioned LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, and even Missouri at Florida homecoming. Uh, the one that, uh, you know, uh, Florida being a uh, six-point favorite in that game. And there's a game we thought would have a lot more implications earlier in the year. Texas A&M at Auburn. Boy, yep. that's kind of turned out to be a dud, hasn't it, somewhat? Well, uh, I, you know, Texas A&M losing to Mississippi State just absolutely shocked me. Yeah. Now, the bookies the bookies knew something that we didn't know, but, you know, mm-hmm. that's always the case. But yeah. I, I was stunned. I was stunned. And yeah, I thought when we, we got to the uh, uh, this point of the year that that would be a huge, huge, huge game. And now Auburn's just trying to finish out the string and see what happens with Gus Malzahn. Apparently the bookies didn't know what was going on with Kentucky because they had Kentucky at seven-point underdog. And I said if I had enough more money I could mortgage my house, I'd put it all on Kentucky in that game. Uh, and it turned out that way. I, but uh, they had to come back late to do it. So that, But you're right. Usually when, the, usually when the bookies know something, it's reflected in the line. And finally, South Carolina at Ole Miss just doesn't mean much. And, you know, all of a sudden – uh, South Carolina wills kind of scramble to pull out a respectable season there. Yeah, I, I'm, I was with the group that picked them to finish uh, second. You know, they've had some they've had some tough wins, they've had some tough losses, but yeah, they need to finish. They've got to go. You know, on the road they're going to play at Ole Miss and at Florida. Mm-hmm. And I kept looking at that schedule. I said, man, those are going to be tough at the end of the season, having to go on the road, play back to back games. Ugh. That's tough. Well, let me just say this, uh, and I'll let you go. I know you've been had a long day, and I appreciate you taking the time tonight to be with you, Tony. Uh, first of all, I want to say looking forward to next week 
when you'll be here in Ocala, speaking of the Ocala Quarterback Club. The club is looking forward to it as well. Good group of folks. You. you follow Pat Dooley, who's on Wednesday night. You should handle that okay. Uh, and uh, you'll regale us with a few stories about, well, uh, the uh, the Kentucky-Georgia game. You'll be bringing some with you when you come. So look forward to having you there. Uh, and lastly, I don't get in too much to, of stories about officials. I just think it's counterproductive. I don't really write about them, talk about them that much. But I've seen a couple of things that have been bothersome to me. And I want you to check me to see, am I getting too old and cranky? Or are these things that we should be concerned about? Uh, and I have a, a couple of good friends, at least one good friend, who's a former official. And he, you know, he, uh, we have discussions. He, he educates me. But when I see calls... And, and I blame this on not just the calls, but the, the rules as well. When I see rules like what I saw with the, uh, the, the, the C.J. McWilliams penalty and when Georgia was driving in a crucial situation and McWilliams had no knee pads or whatever, his pants, right. and I hate those pants, like yoga pants, you know, pulled up over his knees, and he was told to go off the field, and his coach, looking at it, not knowing what was going on, no one apparently told Mullen, uh, he looks at it and thinks, I got, this guy's already a backup. Am I going to put a backup to a backup in there right now? You know, and he's, he waves go back on the field. He didn't know what was happening. He goes back on the field. Mullen doesn't want to call timeout. The officials don't have equipment timeout. And they give him a five-yard penalty for the lay of game. Now that's just, I, I, look, I don't, that didn't cost Florida the game. I'm not saying it would have been Georgia been the same thing, you know, is, and right. why can't they get that right? You say, well, the guy didn't have the right equipment. Yeah, I get it. Uh, I don't see that call very often. And I wonder why I see it called in a situation like that. It seemed like a well, petty time to call it. Well, the thing is, buddy, I can only share with you the, the conversations I had with officials mm-hmm. and this was, this was they were told before the season start we've got to clean we've got to clean this part of it up because guys are running around without pads on their mm-hmm. knees and somebody's going to blow out of the knee and so everybody was told before the season start when we see this we're going to call it we're going to send you off the field and so I haven't seen it called it much because I I figured if the word got through to everybody so I I'm not just I'm just I'm just telling you the conversations yeah, I had. Yeah, I hear officials. you. Well, let me, and they can't. And, yeah. and if they let, and they, buddy, I'm telling you, if they let it go, if it happens and they let it, like if they had not enforced the rule, guess what? You're going to sit next week. But Mike Williams had already been on the field quite a while. And the timing of the call, and look, I, I get it, but here's the thing. Holding could be called almost every play. There's a reason they don't call it every play. It's called judgment. Uh, and so, to me, that was not a good judgment. If that's a rule, that's a rule. And certainly, you know, there should be a penalty for it. Unfortunately, there was lack of communication between the coach and the official and, their, and the player, et cetera, whatever. And it turned out to give him a first down and, you know, during Georgia break there. I, I say that, and then I bring up the other thing. I, I've told my official friend this, too, by the way. Uh, I'm not going to argue things like the pass interference call. I don't know whether it was pass interference or not. The one that, that Mullen went ballistic about. Two unsportsmanlike right. conduct penalties he's got now in three games. Um, I'm still kind of upset about the Vanderbilt call. I think you and I talked about that one, about the two coaches 
the offsetting fouls, quote-unquote, right. supposedly, right. in basketball, and the unsportsmanlike conducts, which cost Florida a player. That's just a bad rule, the way it's written. And so, anyway, I just want to express it to someone who's been around a few years. I'm sure I'll get no sympathy, and maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll get it, maybe I'll get enlightened. I just don't understand it. I'm just sort of trying to, I guess I'm venting a little bit. And so forgive me for that. But, uh, as a whole, the officials do a good job, although the SEC officials have been under criticism a lot this year. And as I say, I've got good friends. I've got one good friend who's an official. Anyway, just weighing in on it, Tony. Uh, and I, I look forward to uh, seeing you here in Ocala and uh, enjoyed seeing you in in, uh, in Jacksonville. And it's always a, it seemed like an especially good year for Florida, Georgia, or Georgia, Florida, however you say it. It was a, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to have have that game and have both teams have a lot on the line. That, that's when the rivalries are really fun. Like the good old days, right? Exactly. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football. Thanks, Tony. Okay, buddy. Take care. All righty. Lee Barnhart is one of the best. Always enjoy having him on. I'm going to tell you about a couple other things here at the moment, if I may. Let's get back to, well, it's on the screen. Let me tell you about Center State Bank which you see in my top left-hand side. They're a sponsor, of course, of the Tuesday show. They're sponsors of the program. Uh, they are a, a, they believe in the core values in this community, and they put effort into it to make sure people know they're about their core values. They put them right up there for you to see. They believe in long-term horizons for their financial deals for world-class service. They believe in relationship banking. Uh, their markets are locally driven, and they are big on faith and family. Uh, Center State Bank uh, is really one of the biggest banks in Florida, seventh biggest, uh, but there are groups uh, all over the state. 82 locations to serve you in 30 Florida counties. Uh, and of course, the Gainesville, Ocala area is served heavily by them, and, and my bank is right here on the screen. It's the uh, beautiful building out on Silver Springs Boulevard. Uh, it looks like something from Gone with the Wind. Gorgeous building. Uh, it, you feel uh, at home when you go in there, and, and the second floor is a beautiful art gallery, which the community has used for a lot of functions, including our Ocala Quarterback Club and our preseason membership drive. So if you want to know about banking, you want to know about uh, community service, you want to know about chocolate chip cookies they got, which are great down there, go try them out. Uh, you can go online, by the way, and find out for the one nearest you to centerstatebank.com in Ocala, located on Silver Springs Boulevard. Uh, call at 352-368-6800, and it's Center State Bank, centered on community and customer service. There you have that. Um, I want to, uh, while I'm here, get back to Renstar Medical Research. Very proud of this uh, program they're involved in. Uh, and it's this is a company that, again, involved the community. All of what I do is about my community, by the way. Uh, and this is a, a Brian Maher. What a, what a game he had Friday night uh, from Westport. You can see it right there on your screen. Uh, he was 35 for 61, 457 yards, six touchdowns against that Allen High School. Uh, and they... Finished the season with Marion County's single single passing yards record um, and career passing yards. Brian Maurer, he's playing for a team and having a hard time getting the W's, but he's certainly done his part. He's committed to Tennessee right now. 
Who knows if that might change or not, but congratulations to Brian Mara, the Red Star, Star of the Week in the Scott Bradley Trophy race. And, of course, Red Star is a high-quality patient-centered clinical research facility located in Ocala with cutting-edge clinical research uh, and the trials in Ocala and areas uh, in such things as Alzheimer's and psoriasis, osteoarthritis, migraines, fibromyalgia, along with many other conditions that affect our community. You can go online and check them out if you want to be involved in uh, some of these trials, by the way. You can do that. Call 352-629-5800 or go online at redstar.net and find out what they mean when they say, Redstar Medical Research, seeking tomorrow's answers to the health questions of today. Okay, coming up in just a moment, we'll have David Moulton. As a matter of fact, we're going to read to dial him up right now. We'll tell you also about the Ocala Quarterback Club. They had a terrific up time tonight uh, with a group there, uh, folks working on a project for the Scott Bradley Trophy, which we're really, really, really thrilled about. Uh, and there's two people who support the Quarterback Club. Uh, Danny Williams on your right, Danny Williams Appraisal, Dr. Frank Cannon, Ocala Orthopedic. They, uh, they support our marketing program. They support many of the things we do, including the Scott Brantley Trophy. Uh, and uh, we're very proud of what we do there. Uh, and we thank both Mr. Ken, Dr. Cannon and Mr. Williams for that. And by the way, speaking of the Scott Brantley Trophy, you'll learn more about this as we go along. This is a, an event that's going to take place here in March or April, uh, and we have all these players now we've been j- scouting for the last uh, few months, and Scott Brantley, uh, the trophy, will be awarded to the player judged as the best player, uh, scholar, citizen, uh, and uh, leader in the community, and he will be awarded this award, this prestigious award for the first time ever. So pay attention. We'll talk to you more about that a little bit later on and tell you about why this is important. It's great that we're embracing all aspects of football, high school, college pro. Of course, Scott was a great buck in Tampa Bay for 10 years. Uh, he was also uh, a Gator. He would have made All-American his senior year, except for the fact that he had a head injury and had to sit out. And um, and so Scott is uh, revered as one of the great players in high school football because his team, Ocala Forest, uh, actually – uh, made uh, won the state championship two straight years, uh, and um, and uh, that that's never never happened around here that I know of, uh, and it's something special. So Scott Bradley Trophy is going to be a prestigious thing to, for somebody to earn uh, at the end of this year. So speaking of prestige, we had a chance to talk to the prestigious David Moulton. Now I was glad to meet my friend David and see all the, the greats are all there. Tony Barnhart was there along with uh, uh, talking to David and up on Vern Lundquist, and it was a nice little chat. Uh, Scott Carter mentioned he happened to pass by and hear some stories being told. And I'll, with that, I'll say good evening to David Bolton. Hi, David. Buddy, how are you? Yeah, you and I had good seats for a couple of war stories. There. <laughs> yes, we did, didn't we? Yeah, it was good to see Vern up and about, and he and Lauren Smith together sitting in the press box. Uh, you know, it's always a good day when I can see people like that around football, college football. So, uh, um, well, it turned out kind of like you thought it might, the game on Saturday. Uh, Florida played pretty well, except for the mistakes and turnovers in the first three quarters, uh, and still had a chance to win the game. That's all you can ask. And then when it came down to it, there were reasons for this, but let's just say that uh, Georgia delivered, 
uh, and and Fromm, I think, uh, regained his stature as a starter, uh, and he, he got the job done. Uh, we could say if and buts, and they're candy and nuts and all that sort of stuff. Starting losing, losing C.J. Henderson didn't help things any at all for Florida, but give me your overall assessment of that game. David, you were there. Well, I mean, Georgia's just better at this stage, which they should be. I mean, Kirby's had a two-year head start on Dan. They should be ahead of Florida, and they are, and they have the better quarterback. And that was very apparent on Saturday. And this is not picking on number 13, but Fromm is better. And clearly, to me, there was one play call from Dan Mullen that showed just where he is at comfort-wise with Felipe Franks. It's a 12-point game, eight and a half minutes to go. It's third and long. And I understand they ran this play on third and long once before, and it got the first down, but Dan did not want Felipe throwing it downfield into coverage. Didn't trust him. He threw basically a flanker screen, which was incomplete, and they punted. And by the time they got the ball back, Georgia attacked another touchdown, on the, and the game was over. And that's the difference in the programs right now. Georgia has more on offense than Florida. I don't think they have more on defense. Florida's pass rush is superior. I'll take Florida's defense up against Georgia's defense. I think it's pretty even. And, yeah, Florida was at a disadvantage in the game because they were playing with backup corners. And Georgia's receivers are better. And, buddy, I think we saw on full display the difference between the two programs right now. Georgia has difference makers on offense. And for as much as you have talked up skilled players with me and for as much as I have taken on the quarterback situation, Florida's guys are not there yet at quarterback and at receiver. They're not. And until they get there, it's difficult to envision them winning a game like this unless they win the turnover battle. And instead, they were, what, minus three? I mean, it was remarkable, buddy. Twelve minutes to go in this game, they're minus three in turnovers, and they're only down six. Yes, yes. It was remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think the other thing was, I think the the goal line stand was epic. It will go down as one of the great great goal line stands. Because if you really look at the film, there were nine tries, (laughs) counting all of them. Uh, Of course, there were six runs uh, and uh, inside the one. And, and, I mean, my goodness, is a nigga. Should have made all American on one goal line stand. He was in, and others, and Krim, et cetera. Uh, but I want to say that uh, that I want to say that you made the right point, which is this is not a criticism of Felipe. He's not a five star quarterback. We know that he's the best Florida has. I don't put it on his. I don't blame him for the loss. No. I think he could have maybe no. won it. But here's the deal: if you really are honest about it, and you look at the teams that are challenging for the elite positions. You look at Alabama and Tua, you look at Georgia and Fromm, and even to a certain extent, you look at uh, Burrow and LSU. Those are the people you have to have that really almost elite quarterback to have a chance to win. And I think that's what you're saying. While he may be a good player who's getting better, he's not an elite quarterback. Well, and I'm not trying to be harsh here. He's not yet a good player. He's an average player. If he gets to be a good player, then look out because he's going to have more talent around him than he has right now. 
I mean, Dan's just begun. and But he's not a good player. He's not accurate enough. He's not consistent enough. He's co- much closer to a 50% passer than he is a 60-plus percent passer. He doesn't have much of an intermediate passing game. Throws a very nice deep ball. He's got great arm strength. I mean, that seam pass for the touchdown to give him the lead. I mean, on the, around the screws. That's, that's, right on the screws. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, you know, that's an NFL caliber big time throw. throw. Yeah. I mean, that that was a gorgeous throw, and he looks the safety off and holds him to create the space to throw it through that window. I mean, and that's why you can see where not Dan and the coaching staff and Gator fans are like, man, if you can make that play, then you know what about the twelve others in and around that and. The, the problem is at some point you're going to have to make a decision. Is it later on this year in which you decide to give the freshman a couple of games after you're done with Missouri and South Carolina? Do you turn it over to the freshman and let him, you know, swim in the deep end for a little bit? Or are you going to keep trying to build up number 13 heading into next year? So, you know, Dan's got a big decision coming up at quarterback, but not for another couple of weeks. Yes. Let's talk about let's talk about this weekend's games. Um, it, we keep hearing this commentary about how LSU is going to be able to be competitive. LSU with the right break, if they can play the first half until Devin Height, uh, White gets on the field and hold on, that they got a shot. They got them in. They got them in LA, in Baton Rouge. And yet, if we really are honest with ourselves and look at this game and say, first of all, you can't compare, you can't make comparisons like this, I know. But Florida beat LSU, okay? Let's just say that. Uh, we don't even know how good Alabama is. Alabama would beat Florida by at least probably three touchdowns, maybe two, three touchdowns easily. Uh, there is no way LSU beats Alabama. So and we haven't even seen Alabama play a full game yet. And we don't even know how good Tua could be if he played four quarters. So I don't know. I guess are we trying to delude ourselves into thinking this is going to be a big big showdown? Well, I think we as fans are hoping that somebody will be able to give Alabama a game. And this is the first team in which you can legitimately muster up a case. But I thought we saw a couple weeks ago, buddy, in West Lafayette, Indiana, that every now and then there are these special nights. There are these moments where stuff happens. And I think since it's a Saturday night in Death Valley that not just the LSU faithful, but certain college football fans are saying, you know, Mm -hmm. every now and then you get the right night and you get the right situation where a team is just good enough and they've got maybe a matchup or two where if things start to come together, you can see the snowball coming. And that's what I think people are hoping for. But, buddy, Alabama has scored a touchdown on their first drive of every game they've played this year. Of course, they haven't played anybody that good. Let's be honest about that. They're scheduled. But but they've got four first or second round picks between three wide receivers and a quarterback. They got the players on offense. 
Exactly. And so, it, you know, to me, it's like fighting Mike Tyson in 1988. Can you survive the first round? Mm-hmm. Can we just start there? Survive in advance, yeah. The, yeah, I mean, keep them, settle for a field goal in the first round if it'll feel like a win. And then work your way into the middle rounds, which for LSU is to try to get to halftime in which they will get a big emotional surge when Devin White becomes eligible. Mm-hmm. Buddy, I did a game, the Iron Bowl in 2010, in which Alabama was really taking it to Auburn. It was 24-7 at the half. And Nick Fairley had a, and I forget the player's name, but he was a defensive tackle who lined up next to him, and the two of them were a handful. And Alabama was struggling with Fairley, and they were double-teaming him. Well, the guy next to him was suspended for the first half because of something that happened the week before. When he came into the game in the third quarter, an Alabama team would put 24 points on the board and 300 yards of offense, struggled to put a field goal up on the board and about 80 yards of offense in the second half. And I think that that also fits into the narrative. If LSU can just be down within 10 at the half, and then all of a sudden Devin White comes, and that will add an element to their defense. And the other thing that hasn't happened yet, Alabama hasn't made any mistakes. And if they've made some, they haven't been in a pressure situation where it costs them. Alabama hasn't been in a situation yet where all of a sudden they turn and they go, oh, blank. And I think we're all just waiting to see. You know it's going to happen at some point. I mean, even the greatest of teams have the one game and one moment that they look back on and go, whew, that got a little dicey. And so we're wondering, is it going to be this week? Is it going to be the Iron Bowl? Is it going to be Atlanta? Is it going to be in the playoff? You figure it's got to happen at some point. And now we see whether or not it can happen Saturday night. But I think it's like fighting Tyson in 88 and 89. Can you hang around? Can you make it a fight? Can we see whether or not Alabama has stamina and a chin? We think they do. But quite frankly, we don't know. Yeah, you're right about Tyson. You, know, you just don't know what you hit him in the mouth one time. They had not been hit in the mouth. So it's right. um, hard to say. Let's take a look at the uh, tonight's rankings, although they don't mean that much. I do think Florida came out pretty good being 11th. And when you think, <laughs> well, think about it. I mean, you yeah. know, I mean, uh, but on the other hand, look at who they played. They played three top 10 teams and they beat one of them. Uh, and you start looking around, think, well, maybe they do deserve. That's a little bit of a commentary on the fact that the loss to Georgia wasn't that bad for them. But and it's also who they got to put up there. Look, I have no illusions, but I, again, Florida's at eleven. If they play well enough, they got a chance to be there on New Year's Day. Now it's a long way to go yet. They got to beat Missouri, but I think from that standpoint, it worked out fine. The rest of it's pretty pedestrian. I mean, I can't argue with Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame. Michigan, you know, I see nothing there. A lot of, well, just, it's all going to take care of itself anyway, isn't it? Yes, I think Oklahoma's probably a little eyebrow raised. They probably think they should be one or two spots higher. I think Notre Dame's wondering why are they behind LSU, but it really doesn't matter. I think UCF is a little miffed, certainly being behind Florida with two losses. 
But I thought that's about where they were going to be. It is five spots higher than they were in the first poll a year ago. You know, do I think mm-hmm. UCF can get in the top four? No. Mm-hmm. But I think they can, you know, I think they get close. If they keep winning, and obviously those bunch of those teams are playing each other in front of them, yeah. you could see where they could systematically move into the six to eight range by Thanksgiving. Eleven teams, top eleven, five SEC teams in the top eleven, and there's a three loss team in the top eighteen from the SEC. Mississippi State three loss team, eighteen. What does that tell you? And well, Texas A&M is two well, spots down. They're three loss team, so there's two. Three lost SEC teams in the top 20. Well, clearly the committee thinks the SEC is the best conference in the country, and it's not close because they have the highest-ranked unbeaten team, highest-ranked one-loss team, highest-ranked two-loss team, highest-ranked three-loss team. So that's not a coincidence. So clearly the committee has spoken, and it does bring into play that I guess it's possible for the SEC to get two teams. Now, which team could Alabama lose to and when Mm -hmm. in order for it to happen? Mm -hmm. You know, would it be LSU because they're ranked third? Would it be better off if it were to happen in Atlanta? But I do think that the committee, by their initial rankings of not just Alabama, but of all the others that I mentioned, is setting it up so that if it were to happen this year, that's the only conference it could happen for. Yeah, and Notre Dame's going to skate. We all know that. Michigan's not going to skate. they got they got one more of the loss and certainly be in Ohio State if they play decent. We know where Georgia stands. Oklahoma, that conference just doesn't have great standing. Washington State gets no respect. I don't think they'll get up the ladder, but they really are fun to watch for sure. Well, and. Well, two things about Washington State. Their non-conference schedule this year is bad. I don't mm-hmm. believe they had a Power 5 team on their non-conference schedule, and neither did Oklahoma, which could really come back to bite them this year if it ends up being Big Ten champion against them versus who gets the final spot. You know, They don't have a win over Ohio State as a non-conference to hang their hat on this year. I think they had Army and FAU and someone else wasn't very good. Yo, UCLA, so I guess they did have a, a Power 5 team, but you know UCLA is dreadful this year. Also, what's hurting Washington State, buddy, is their one loss is at USC, which until last week, Clay Helton had never lost a home game, but now that's a yeah, No big deal. Yeah. Right. For sure. And, and, and looking at the, uh, the what's ahead, uh, you know, six, Georgia plays Kentucky, so that's one spot that's going to, somebody's going to come sure. out from. Five, uh, uh, Michigan plays play Ohio State. There's another one that they're going to knock down. Uh, and then, uh, six is going to wind up playing nine. I uh, said that already. Uh, and then, uh, and Alabama will be oh, favored. Well, one's playing three. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, Alabama, that's of course. Why UCF, that's why UCF, if they keep winning, buddy, you could see where they move up a spot a week. Yeah, but not to the top four. But not to the top four. Um, no, it's it's very unlikely. I, yeah. Because it's difficult to see them being ranked ahead of a one-loss Power 5 team. Yeah. I, it is. So it's it's unlikely. Yeah. It and, is. Yeah. But, but they can get close. But look, who are they going to put up there? Fresno State? I mean, for crying out loud. You you got you're pretty soon you're out of teams. 
They keep losing, and these teams are going to lose if they play each other. There's going to be some open spots in that top 10, top 12. And if they're, and it, we buddy, hadn't even accounted for the fact there'll be some upsets. Buddy, we better get used to this. If you think about it, particularly in the SEC, we better get used to this because a lot of schools in the last year or two have hired the right coaches and have made the financial investments, and we're going to have a ton of two- and three-loss teams going forward. I think college football is going to look a little more like the NFL in terms of very few unbeatens and even struggling to get 12-1 and is going to be really difficult. I think we're not far away from a two-loss team in the playoff. I I think – I mean, we would have had it – Auburn was a quarter away from it happening last year, and I thought Penn State deserved to get in in 2016. I I think we better get used to the fact that we're going to have a lot of losses, which is why UCF, it's not going to happen for them this year, but UCF, if they can get six, they will start to make the case for when we have that year when we've got a couple of two-loss teams that it's, well, maybe we find some room for a group of five team. Yeah. Why not? The big boys have all beaten themselves up. I think they could have reshuffled that conference and brought some new people in there a couple of years ago and make, strengthen that conference and help their their case. They didn't do it. Could have done that, and that would have been that would have been good. That would have helped. Anyway, all right. So we got plenty of football left to play. We have got games on Saturday. We know uh, obviously the big one is going to be Alabama and LSU. And then what about Kentucky, Georgia? How's that going to play out? Well, it is difficult for me to see Kentucky winning unless they just are plus two in turnovers and they get points from places that are not their offense because clearly their offense has shown itself. They've had, what, three games since the bye, Mm -hmm. and they haven't scored worth a darn. Now, I know know, their only loss was at A&M, and they forced overtime in a game in which they literally didn't cross midfield. Mm -hmm. So Kentucky is clearly offensively challenged. So how can they score enough points to beat Georgia? And that's how can they get to, let's just say Kentucky's going to be better than Florida defensively because they got healthy corners mm-hmm. and they're at home. So even if they hold Georgia in the 17 to 20 range, which would be a phenomenal effort, how in the world does Kentucky get to 20 or 21 without some help? So to me, this game is clearly in Georgia's hands. They're the better team. They've got more weapons. They've got to lose the game. They've got to turn it over, be sloppy, succumb to the pressure. Georgia has to lose this game in order for Kentucky to win. I don't think Kentucky can line up and beat Georgia. I just don't think they can. They don't have the offense to do it. Well, all right, but you like it was nine-and-a-half point underdogs? Yeah, I would take the points. Absolutely, I would. At being at home, I just don't see how they can score enough. That Kentucky offense against Florida. I'm trying to figure out where that offense is because we haven't seen it in two months. Well, they, they struggled, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or was that the Gators' defense without Jefferson and without yeah, good uh, Reese. 33? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah Reese. you know, the couple of guys there that have come in and that Florida defense has been completely different mm-hmm. ever since they showed up. 
And then I have a feeling that that's probably why Kentucky had the success on offense that they had. And I think they're starting to believe in themselves a little bit, you know. They pull some of these wins out, and I think they believe this could be their could truly be their Cinderella season. And when a team starts believing that, things happen. Florida, Missouri. Florida's a six-point favorite over Missouri. Drew Locke coming to town, a decimated secondary, although I understand uh, that Florida will get C.J. Anderson back this week. That'll help some. Uh, Gators need this win to get back home and get things righted. How do you see it coming off? Well, Missouri has been unable to win. What's their signature win? Had a chance at South Carolina. Had a chance against Kentucky, although I thought the officials really helped Kentucky there. Well, and missing the offensive pass interference on the game when it touched him. Mm-hmm. I mean, how you call the one on the play before and don't call that. I mean, that's that was. A I'm not too pleased with SEC officiating this year. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not an official. I don't quite complain about it, but I've seen some calls this year and non calls that concern me in the SEC. Anyway, I digress. Well, I'm sorry. The Devin White targeting is yeah. very egregious and very egregious. I, that's staggering to me that they missed that that badly. It, it really is. But uh, I would have to take the Gators. Take the Gators and lay in six? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. I, right. I definitely would. Missouri, and I love Drew Locke. I think he's a first-round pick, and I think he's going to play well on Sundays. But yeah. I, I would take the Gators this week. All right, two more and let you go. And this is a game we thought for the season started would be a big one. It would be playing for the second-place position behind Alabama in the SEC West. Texas A&M and Auburn, Auburn six-point favorites. That's a game that has lost its luster. Yes, but Auburn showed a little something right at the moment, which we thought they were about to mail it in on Gus Malzahn last time out. So I have to believe that they had a few team meetings and were like, hey, Mm -hmm. we are not mailing this sucker in. No way, no how. So I think it'll be difficult. Auburn has not played well at home this year for whatever reason. But I like Auburn in a one-score game. All right. And then finally, South Carolina at Ole Miss. South Carolina is a uh, one-point favorite. Well, Ole Miss is dreadful. I know they got a quarterback and some receivers. No defense, none, zero. Defense. No, none whatsoever. And South Carolina saved their season with a win against Missouri, and they pulled out the Tennessee game. Will's really good in one-score games at South Carolina. So I'm gonna. I think it'll be a little awkward at times, but I'll take the game, Gamecocks. David Moulton. Who does so many jobs? I can't even tell you which one it is. Miller and Moulton's his show in South Florida. He's off to the NFL soon to do that. He does college football, CBS. Oh, buddy, I, I have a, a weekend that you might actually be jealous of me for. Yeah. Once. Besides being in, besides being at Baton Rouge on Sunday, I drive an hour south to New Orleans for the Rams and the Saints. Yeah. Yeah. You get to see Dante Fowler is. play. He got just got traded today. Yeah. Yeah. The. Uh, the epicenter of the football world is the state of Louisiana. How about week. that? Yes, it is. It's a big one. Well, David, you have a good trip, my friend, and thanks for your time. We'll talk to you next week. Buddy, great seeing you last right, weekend. Great to see time. you. And i got to get that. Oh, i got that from you already, and we're good on that, that number. Thanks, David. Be safe. Take see care, you. buddy.
See you, buddy. Okay. Right, David Bolton, South Florida, always love. I want to just get this in here and tell you folks about <clears throat> um, a couple of things for us to get night to you. And one of them is I checked today with Tony from All Florida Sportswear on windbreakers. Uh, there are There's only one pullover at the point, but I'm going to let you get back to you on that. Meanwhile, it's still T-shirt weather, so stay tuned for all that, and we'll tell you more about how to get in touch. GNK, thank you for that, Tony. Uh, we'll have more information on merchandise available to you through our friends there, and I'll tell you more about that later. Meanwhile, I want to tell you about the good food at Mark's Prime. I uh, got a new steak up there tonight. Mm-mm-mm, look at that. Isn't that something? Yeah, I would like to have one of those. Uh, on the left, there's a shrimp scampi dish I came across. I thought I'd make you hungry tonight and show you that in case you were not a beef eater. But look at that piece of meat right there. Whew, on the right. Mark's Prime Steakhouse. Uh, that's why I go there for beautiful dishes like that. You should try it out. Mark's, of course, uh, they love to give you a great dining experience, and they like to give you the best beef and best freshest seafood, the premium wines, uh, wonderful naturally fresh vegetables. They serve them all for you there. Uh, if you haven't been there, well, you're going for a really unique dining experience, uh, you can go online uh, and go to Mark's Prime Steakhouse. Dot com. If you need to make a reservation, I encourage you to do it early. Uh, you can call Ocala, 352-402-0097, and Gainesville, 352-336-0077, uh, and they do have complimentary valet parking. By the way, as my wife and I were talking today about this. I said, I have a friend I really want to take to dinner and do something nice for. What should I do? He says, take him to Mark's. Right you are, Joan. That's a good thing to do, uh, and I'll be doing that, and I'll be back here again soon. You should try it. Mark's Prime Steakhouse and Seafood. Okay, a final word. Um, and I held this up to the end because I didn't want to have a, create any difficulty or anything that would upset anybody tonight. I just wanted to say this. All right. <clears throat> As I look through this book tonight, I, I, I'm going to continue to read it to see what I can find if there's anything about human compassion. Okay. Not sure it'll be in this book, but Timmy is uh, pretty spiritually based in this possibility. This is the day, it says here. And I, I posted this today as a test uh, for those of you. And I, by the way, I'm not going to try and adjudicate the coaching life of Urban Meyer. Uh, you know, that's up to you and him or whatever. But uh, the story came out today that Urban uh, has, uh, as a lot of us do, this uh, arachnoid cyst, which he's had uh, trouble with in the past. Uh, and uh, I posted online just to see how people respond, and I put this in there. I hope we can put aside personal feelings and avoid the cheap shots about a man with a serious health problem, which some of us have known about for a long time. Personally, I will be praying for Urban and his family, but I realize others feel differently. Hoping for the high road here, but 
Maybe it's just too much to ask. And so I'll say thank you. A few of you came through with uh, some human compassion and put it above your personal bitterness or petty sniping. I wondered about others and if they would like to be judged the way they are judging someone like Urban when their day of accountability comes. And so I say no wonder we're divided as a country like we are when some of us are so judgmental we can't see beyond our nose to look at a person's personal situation and the human condition and feel like, what if I were in that case? But I'll stop there, short of sermonizing, lest I be falling prey to the judgmental part of that myself and just say, hope your mothers and your fathers taught you about the golden rule. Try as that may sound, it still counts. You have a good night tonight. Thank you for listening and watching. We're back tomorrow night. We'll have uh, Edgar with us tomorrow night. Speaking of judgments, Edgar will be joining us. And uh, much more to come are your way. So have a good evening, everybody.